Chapter 3 The Real Christ His Love for Men Let all the house of Israel therefore know assuredly that God hath made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom ye crucified. Acts chapter 2 verse 36 Unto him that loveth us, and loosed us from our sins by his blood. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might become rich. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. 1 John 2, verse 6 A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, even as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. John 13, verses 34-35 Our subject in the first two chapters was the real Christ, the Christ of God's own appointment and actual historical fact, as distinguished from the Christ of man's dreams and fancies and imaginings. The real Christ is the Christ whose picture God himself has drawn in the Bible, as distinguished from the Christ of Christian science, theosophy, Unitarianism, spiritualism, and other forms of fiction. We have the same general subject in this chapter. In the first chapter, however, we considered one feature of the picture of the real Christ, which God has given in His Word, the holiness of the real Christ. In chapter 2, we considered a second feature of that picture, the love of Jesus Christ for the Father. Now we consider a third feature of the picture, the love of the real Christ, the Christ of God's own appointment, the Lord Jesus Christ. God manifest in the flesh for his fellow man. We have five wonderful texts. They have long meant much to us all, but before we finish this chapter, I think they will mean more to some of us than they have ever meant before. We have already seen that our Lord Jesus loved his fellow man as no other man ever loved his fellow man. But far deeper than that love, the very foundation upon which his love rested and far higher than that love, was his love for God the Father. That is as it should be with us. Our love for God the Father should be deeper, far deeper, and far higher than our love for our fellow man. Indeed, it must be the foundation of any real love for our fellow man. But notwithstanding this, we shall see that the love of the real Christ for his fellow man was most amazing. And yet God tells us in His Word that in this love, Jesus, the Christ of God, set us an example that we should follow in His steps. As John said, Hereby know we love, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 1 John 3, verse 16 What we have discovered in the picture God gives us in His Word of the love of Christ for His fellow man will come under two headings. First, who among men Jesus Christ loved? Second, how the love of the Christ for men manifested itself. The men Jesus Christ loved. The church. First of all, Jesus Christ loved the church. We find this explicitly stated in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, 
even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. Jesus Christ, as we shall see later, loves all men, but the church is a special object of his love. The church is loved by Christ in a particular sense and in a special way. A philanthropist may love all mankind, and yet, if he is a true man, he will love his own wife in a special way as he loves no other woman. Likewise, Christ has special love for the church, his bride. We must be on our guard in studying the various passages in the Bible which speak about the love of Christ, to note whether they refer to his love in general for all mankind, or his love in particular for the church, which is his body and his bride. Who is meant by the church? Not, of course, any particular denomination, and not the church as an external organization. By the church, as used here and frequently in the New Testament, it means all the called out of the present dispensation. In other words, it means all those who in this present dispensation accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, surrender to Him as their Lord and Master, confess Him as such before the world, and live a life of obedience to His will. Christ's special love for the church is set forth in another way and a most beautiful way in John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own that were in the world, He loved them unto the end. Here, a body of people are spoken of as being His own. Of course, these are the same as the church. The reason they are called His own is made clear in John chapter 17. Even as thou gavest him authority over all flesh, that to all whom thou hast given him, he shall give eternal life. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for those whom thou hast given me. For they are thine. While I was with them, I kept them in thy name which thou hast given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. John chapter 17 verses 2, 9, and 12. From these verses, it is evident that Jesus Christ's own are those whom God the Father has given unto him. There is a body of people out of the human race whom God has given unto Jesus Christ as his own special property. They are the ones who received him and believeth on him, John chapter 1, verse 12, and chapter 3, verse 18. The proof that one belongs to this elect company is that he comes to Christ, as we read in John chapter 6, verse 37. All that which the Father giveth me shall come unto me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. This highly favored company, given to Christ by the Father, comes to Christ. They are objects of Christ's special love. To them he ministers in a special way, John chapter 13, verse 1 and guards them so that not one of them perishes. John chapter 17, verse 12. Of them, he says, Of those whom thou hast given me, I lost not one. John chapter 18, verse 9. Individual Believers Jesus Christ not only loves the church as a body, he also loves individual believers in a particular way. That is evident in many scriptures, but it comes out in a beautiful way in the words of Paul. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I that live, 
but Christ liveth in me. And that life which I now live in the flesh I live in faith, the faith which is in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Obedient Believers Who Loved Him Jesus Christ loved with a particular love those who loved him and showed their love by keeping his commandments. We read this in his own words, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself unto him. John chapter 14 verse 21. Our Lord Jesus expresses much the same thought in Mark chapter 3 verse 35. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will of God stands in a relationship of the closest kinship to Christ. Such a one is like his brother and sister and mother. A man may love all men and still have a special love for his own brother and sister and above all his own mother. But our Lord tells us that he has that love which combines all three of these great loves for whoever does the will of God. Special Individuals Jesus loved special individuals in a special way. This appears in John chapter 19, verse 26, where John is spoken of as the disciple whom Jesus loved. It also appears in John chapter 11, verse 5, where we are told that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yes, Jesus loves all men with infinite love. He has a special love for his church as his body and his bride. He has an individual love for each member of his body. He has a special love for those who have his commandments and keep them. But the more open any heart is to him by faith and love, the more that person is the object of his special delight. Sinners Jesus Christ loved sinners, the lost, the ungodly, and the utterly vile. We see this repeatedly in the picture God has drawn of him in the Bible. For example, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For while we were yet weak, in due season Christ died for the ungodly. But God commandeth his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and verse 8. Jesus Christ loves the vilest sinner as truly as he loves the purest saint, but he does not love the vilest sinner in the same way he loves the purest saint. His love for the sinner is one thing. His love for the obedient disciple is quite another. Toward the one he has pity, in the other he takes pleasure. There is an attraction in both cases. In the one case, the attraction of need appeals to compassion. In the other case, the attraction of moral beauty appeals to appreciation and delight. Christ pities the sinner. He delights in the saint. He loves them both. In the parable of the lost sheep, we see that the attraction of need was greater than the attraction of moral beauty to Jesus. Luke chapter 15 verses 3 through 7. Among the sinners whom Jesus loved were even his bitterest and cruelest enemies. 
We see him on the cross forgetting his own dying agonies in his concern for those who nailed him to the cross as he cries in his last moments, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke chapter 23 verse 34. This is a lesson we all greatly need to learn from our Lord's example. How the love of Jesus Christ for men manifested itself. We will now look at the picture God has drawn of the real Christ in the Bible and see how his love for men manifested itself. I am staggered at the wealth of material that God gives us in his word. I found there were no less than 30 separate and distinct ways in which the love of Jesus Christ for men manifested itself. Of course, it is impossible to give all of them in this chapter. Indeed, we must omit two-thirds of them. Which shall we select? By becoming poor. In the first place, the love of Jesus Christ for men manifested itself in his becoming poor that we might become rich. This is seen in the following text. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might become rich. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. How great the riches he renounced, and how great the poverty he assumed, is seen in Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 through 8. Who, existing in the form of God, counted not the being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient even unto death, yea, the death of the cross. We see how great are the riches we obtain from his becoming so poor in Romans chapter 8, verses 16-17. through 17. The Spirit Himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We might stop here, ponder and wonder, admire and adore our wondrous Lord, but we must move on. But before we do, even in this He has left us an example for our imitation. He that saith He abideth in Him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. By giving himself. The love of Jesus Christ for men manifested itself by his giving himself up for us. We see this in a passage already quoted, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me, his was a self-sacrificing love. It was a love that sacrificed self, not merely his life for us. He sacrificed himself for us. He gave himself up for us. The death of Christ was not the only sacrifice he made, though it was the crowning one. His whole life was a sacrifice from the manger to the cross. His becoming man at all was a sacrifice of immeasurable greatness and meaning. Even in the marvelous sacrifice of Himself, we must follow in His steps. God tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, Walk in love, even as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us. And God also says, in words which can neither be misunderstood nor evaded, Hereby know we love, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 
1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By forgiving. The love of Jesus Christ for the vilest sinners manifested itself in His forgiving them when they repented of their sin and believed on Him. God's picture of the Christ abounds in illustrations of this. A notable instance is found in the seventh chapter of Luke. A woman who was a notorious sinner entered the house where he was being entertained by Simon the Pharisee. She drew near to him as he reclined at the table, and bending over his feet, wet them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon and the other guests were shocked that he would allow a woman of such a character even to touch him. But Jesus looked up into those tear-dimmed eyes and said, Thy sins are forgiven. Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Luke chapter 7, verse 48 and verse 50. We are specifically told to imitate him when others wrong us. For God says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, even as God also in Christ forgave you. By rebuking and chastening, the love of Jesus Christ for men manifested itself by His rebuking and chastening them when they sinned, to bring them to repentance. Speaking from glory, Jesus Christ said, As many as I love, I reprove and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. A one-sided picture is often drawn of our Lord, the Christ of God, at this point. His readiness to forgive sinners, even the vilest, is emphasized, but that true and wise love of His that makes the impenitent sinner suffer so that they may be brought to repentance is lost sight of or obscured. Such a Christ is not the real Christ. It is not the Christ of actual fact. It is not the Christ God has pictured for us in His own book. By Patient Treatment the love of Christ toward skeptics was manifested in His patient dealing with unreasonable, inexcusable, and stubborn doubts. There are various illustrations of this in the Bible. One of the most striking is in the case of Thomas. Thomas was not with the other disciples on the night of the resurrection day when Jesus appeared in their midst and manifested Himself to them. When Thomas returned, the other disciples said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas stubbornly replied, Except I shall see in his hands the prints of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 25. A week from that night, the next Lord's Day, the disciples were gathered again, and Thomas was with them this time. Jesus stood in their midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then he turned to Thomas the stubborn doubter, and gently said, Thomas, reach hither thy finger and see my hands, and reach hither thy hand and put it into my side, and be not faithless but believing. The stubborn, unreasonable, inexcusable doubt of Thomas is conquered, and he falls upon his knees before his Lord, looks up into his face and cries, My Lord and my God. John chapter 20, verses 26 through 28. There is a lesson for us here. We grow so impatient with the doubter, especially when he is stubborn and unreasonable in his doubt, but our Lord did not, and our Lord's method certainly is best. 
by tender dealing with backsliders. The love of Jesus Christ toward a weak disciple manifested itself by patient and tender dealing with his lapse into grievous sin and awful apostasy. The example that comes to mind is that of the Apostle Peter, who had denied his Lord three times with oaths and curses. But after his resurrection, our Lord sent a message through his angelic messengers to the disciples. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. Mark chapter 16, verse 7. Oh, how wondrously tender was that! And Peter. Why say, and Peter? Was he not a disciple? Yes, he was the leader of the apostolic company. But three nights prior to this, he had denied his Lord three times with oaths and curses. If the messenger had only said, Tell his disciples, Peter would have said, Yes, I was a disciple, but I am no longer. I denied my Lord with oaths and curses. He doesn't mean me. But our loving Lord sent the message, Go and tell my disciples, and whoever you tell, be sure you tell poor, discouraged, backslidden, broken-hearted Peter. Here, too, is a lesson for us. When professing Christians prove weak, when in the hour of testing they fail, we are too ready to turn on them harshly and utterly discourage them, instead of following in the footsteps of our Lord and dealing with them patiently and tenderly. No matter how grievous their lapse into sin may have been, we need to be patient and win them back to Him. By Performing Menial Tasks The love of Christ for His disciples manifested itself in His performing the lowliest and most menial services for them. We see this in that wonderful picture of the Christ that God has given us in John chapter 13, verses 1-5. through Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own that were in the world, He loved them unto the end. And during supper the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he came forth from God, and goeth unto God, riseth from supper, and layeth aside his garments. And he took a towel and girded himself. Then he poureth water into the basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. What a sight! What a sight! The Lord of glory washing the dirty feet of those mutually jealous disciples. But we cannot stop now to dwell on the significance of this wonderful scene. Indeed, what Jesus did on this occasion needs imitation more than it needs comment. And in this case, our Lord definitely tells us and emphasizes the fact that He has left us an example that we should follow in His steps. His words are, For I have given you an example that ye also should do as I have done to you. John chapter 13, verse 15. By leaving His Father The love of Jesus Christ for the church was manifested in His leaving the Father to cleave unto the church, so that they too should become one flesh. This stupendous fact is declared by Paul. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
this mystery is great, but I speak in regard of Christ and of the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 through 32. One hesitates to attempt to interpret these remarkable words, but God has put them into His Word that we may understand them and meditate upon them. Their meaning is plain, and it is staggering in its marvelous significance. They mean this God the Father was the object of the eternal love of Christ. In the eternity behind us, before a world or an angel or any created being was formed, God the Father and God the Son loved one another. Their whole being was wrapped up in one another. The tendrils of the love of Christ have wrapped themselves around the one object of His eternal love, the Father, with an infinitude of love that we cannot fathom or imagine. But man was created and man sinned. Out of that great lost mass of mankind, God gave His Son a people who believed in Him and became His bride. Out of love for this bride, the eternal Son of God tore Himself away from the Father and came down to this sin-cursed world to win us as His bride and be joined to us. Do you wonder that Paul says, This mystery is great? By preparing a place for us. The love of Jesus Christ for His disciples manifested itself in His going to prepare a place for us. We see this in those familiar and precious words of our Lord. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. John chapter 14, verse 2. His love for the church brought Christ down to the earth, and His love for the church took Him away from the earth. His love for the church compelled Him to leave the Father to seek us out, win us for Himself as His bride, and die to secure our pardon. His love for the church also led Him to go back to the Father and prepare an eternal home for us in His Father's house. By His coming again, the love of Jesus Christ for His church will manifest itself in His coming again for us to receive us unto Himself, that we may be no more separated one from the other. This appears in the next verse to the one just quoted in John. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. John chapter 14, verse 3. Oh, how He loves us! He left us out of love for us. He left us for our good. But He is lonesome without us. Even heaven with the Father's presence is a lonesome place for Christ without us. He so loves us. And the earth ought to be a lonesome place for us without our Lord and Christ, our heavenly bridegroom, because we so love Him. Earth ought to be a lonesome place for us without Him, no matter how beautiful our homes, how many our comforts, how numerous and excellent our friends, how noble and satisfying our children, our wives, or husbands. Is earth a lonesome place for you without the Lord Jesus? Are you longing for His return? Does your heart keep crying, Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly? Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. And are you even willing, if He must tarry, to lay aside your mortal body, and to be absent from the body, and to be at home with the Lord? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. 
Are you saying from the depths of your heart with Paul, For me it would be far better to depart and be with Christ? There is a wonderful tenderness in the exact wording of this John chapter 14, verse 3 verse. Our Lord Jesus says, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Note those words, unto myself. He does not merely say, into my home and into companionship with me, but unto myself. It is as if he longed to press us to his very soul, unto myself. Frederic Gaudet's comment on these words is worth repeating. He presses him, the believer, to his heart, so to speak, while bearing him away. There is an infinite tenderness in these last words. It is for himself that he seems to rejoice in and look to this moment, which will put an end to all separation. Last summer I entered a room in a little mission station in China, many miles off the beaten path. The native pastor dwelt in this room. There was just one decoration on the wall of that plainly furnished room, a text of Scripture. What do you think it was? Just these words, Come quickly, Lord Jesus.